0: Hang on a second. Hang on. Hang on. 2020 hindsight.
1: What did I say? 50-50?
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's really good. Isn't it? <laughs> Elliot, you know what I really like to do in the morning when I have a cup of coffee? I like to drink half of it and then go back to the pot and fill it up again and try to convince myself that I haven't actually had two cups of coffee. In that spirit, this podcast is going to be that top part of the coffee that I top off because we just... Had a podcast a couple of days ago. Kind of went a little bit Broadway on it, but this one's going to be a quickie. We swear, we promise, we will not take too much of your time. Uh, this one will be a quick thirty-two thoughts. The podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. And first of all, I, I have no idea what any of that what just was.
1: Like I, I'm listening to that. I, my, this is going to be a little top
0: off. Is all I'm going to say. This oh, isn't going to okay. be a full cup of coffee. Just a little top off, sir. You you're sitting there at the bar having your breakfast and you're sipping your coffee and you're... What a tortured analogy. I'm trying to be a little bit creative here instead of just jumping in with a big question about LTIR as everyone falls asleep as you were before the podcast last time and probably today as well. (laughs) Okay, let's jump right in with the most exciting topic we can think of.
1: No, no, no. I've got a question for you I want to ask you. Oh, okay. I'm going to start with a question for you. All right. How would you feel about one game... Every week, and it has to be a weekday. It can't be a weekend, Mm -hmm. That starts at 2 o'clock local time. So an afternoon
0: game. Yes, one game a week. So personally, I love it. Mm -hmm. But then again, I'm not a 9 to 5 worker. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not a traditional worker. For me, that would be great. I personally love afternoon hockey games. Personally, just speaking selfishly, because you said, how would you feel about it? I would support it. What about you? So there's an
1: idea going around, and I, you know I don't know how serious it is. It was presented to me recently that there should be one game a week in the NHL that starts at two o'clock. Why is that? There's a couple of different reasons. Number one, uh, you wouldn't do it in one of the high-revenue places, maybe one a year. I think generally you don't want to do that in those areas because the games that are played in the afternoon on the weekend, and I would assume so during the middle of the week, they tend not to make as much in food. They definitely don't make as much in alcohol or drink revenue. You know, those games tend not to make as much in overall revenue because they're not at night. However, the argument that's being made is... You know, you make it up in terms of, you know, some places that don't get as much attendance at night. You do special promotions, whether it's school kids in the building or, you know, other people that maybe can't get there at night can get there during the day. You try to make it a special event. You know, I had somebody say to me that they think that they should consider it at Arizona, where the attendance is going to be maximum 5,000 next year, maybe to do it a little bit different. You know, the one thing we were kind of batting back and forth is that the average ticket is supposed to be around $160. I don't know if you're going to get that in the daytime. But the other thing that that this person uh, mentioned to me was that it's good for wagering. And if the teams can capture, Hmm. so his overall point was, okay, so maybe you don't make as much in terms of food and drink revenue, but in terms of getting people in the building, getting tickets paid for, and does it make your TV product more valuable and does it make a team more intriguing in a local market where it doesn't sell out all the time at night? Plus. The possibility of it being sort of a wagering target because it's a game that's all by itself, does it make sense? See, when I think
0: about this, I think about kids. Yes, and I think that's very big. We have to get kids into the building. We have to get kids into the building. Here's why I say kids, and this is one of the sensitivities. When you have ticket prices, and listen, NHL is the best hockey league in the world, and the, the ticket prices reflect that. You know, if I were running a high revenue team, high revenue team doesn't do it. Maybe one a year, but hang on a second. If I'm running a high revenue team, okay. So maybe so for purposes of this discussion, maybe not even a high revenue team. One of my concerns is where's my next generation of season ticket holder coming from? Mm-hmm. If they're already priced out of the building in those, in those formative years, like I grew up going to Maple Leaf Gardens. My dad mm-hmm. would take me to Toro's games, to Marley's games and to Maple Leaf games as well. So I was spoiled but I got into the building and I got hooked on hockey really early and it's just carried me through life. And I know that not all families have that luxury, but you know, listen, back then it was easier to get hockey tickets than it is now. If I'm running a hockey team, one of my concerns is twofold, filling the building now, but also making sure that they're the next wave of season ticket holder. When this generation of season ticket holder ages out is still there and interested in buying tickets. That's why there needs to be some way to get kids in to the building. Mm -hmm. Get them in there, get the live experience, whatever you have to do. Personalize it for kids so that it's exciting and it's different and it reflects their tastes. You know, not just the tastes of guys like you, me, and Amal, but, you know, kids taste that way when it's their turn to grow up and, you know, uh, get in a position where they can buy season tickets They have in the back of their mind yeah you know what that's my entertainment brand of choice hockey
1: i'm with you on this someone brought it up to my attention today and and said that i don't know if it's being discussed or it's an idea or what it is just that it's kind of floating around there and i thought it was a great idea you know every organization is going to have their ups and downs where they're hot or where they're not and you know Toronto. You know had their next generation game on Wednesday night. Yeah. Their next generation game used to be afternoon games when it was you know more possible to do it. And I assume that once things return quote unquote to normal, we'll get back to that. But uh, I'm looking at some places where you know maybe if you're not expecting a big year or your attendance is down, you say okay, we're going to go on a rotation where we're going to play. I don't know how many weeks there are in the regular season. Is it something like 35, whatever it is? Do you say everybody's got to play one game or maybe some teams don't do that. Everybody out there can argue about how it works, mm-hmm. but should this league have one game a week that starts at two o'clock local?
0: Like one of the things that I really loved when the world cup was on in Toronto is just, and I had to work part of it with Witten and Armstrong, but just going and being around mm-hmm. the rank. And being inside the arena all day long and specifically afternoon games. Like, you remember that, that, that Sweden Team North America game, the one that we all went crazy for? That was an afternoon game. Yep. And that was awesome. And part, I think part of the cool experience was you're not used to seeing a hockey game at that point in the day. Your body clock isn't tuned for hockey. Like, whoa, hockey's coming at me here early in the, early in the afternoon and it's great. So I love it. I love the idea of afternoon hockey. I love the idea of having one day dedicated to making it mainly about kids and getting kids in the building. But the wagering angle is an interesting one, too, that I hadn't considered. I hadn't considered that how to cater to the wagering crowd. I don't want to give a frivolous answer for it. I want to sort of color this up with just, you know, a hot radio take because I'm on the air. But that, that's an interesting one that I'm going to have to think about because I had never considered it from that angle before.
1: The other thing now also is that, and it's not for everyone, it's for some people, not for everyone, but the workforce is changing, right? How many people are going to be returning to the office?
0: Well, and you know what, that was, part, when I opened it with the preamble saying like, look, I'm not a traditional nine-to-five person. Well, who is now? Yeah, <laughs> Who is who is a nine-to-five? Anyway, that's, that's one of the things to discuss amongst yourselves. We look for the feedback at our email, our phone line, which we will get to us later. Because I would support it. I think it's a great idea. One game a week. I'm in. Two o'clock. Okay. To another exciting discussion of the future of LTIR. What is it, Elliot? So there were some reports on
1: Thursday that it's on the agenda at the uh, GM's meetings coming up next week in Florida. And basically what it's being jokingly called is the Kucherov rule, where you know, players can't be stashed on LTIR and then show up for the playoffs. And maybe what you do is you come up with some tweaks or changes to the system that prevent you from really having a situation where you have no cap and can really load up your roster. Now, there's a couple of things here. I had a couple GMs tell me last year, after Kucherov, the way he bragged about it when Tampa won the Cup, that people were going to (laughs) take aim at it. It wasn't just that Tampa did it. It's the way that Kucherov (laughs) openly bragged about it, that guaranteed that people were going to go after it. Yeah. What everybody forgets is the players have to agree to this. You can't just unilaterally say, okay, we're changing the rules. They just redid the CBA and we're in year two of what could be six or possibly seven. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the league says that they're hopeful they're going to get that debt paid off, the one the players owed them, you know, we'll see, which would make it a six-year deal instead of seven, but you can't just unilaterally say we're changing the rules without the player's approval. And, you know, the big question I've been asking since these reports started coming out on Thursday is, does it benefit the players to say yes? And I'm already getting arguments as to why it doesn't. Yeah. Or what are you going to have to offer the players to get them to say yes?
0: If I'm a player, you know what my first question is about this proposal? Does it affect escrow? Well, it can't because escrow's locked in. I get that. But that's my first question. And if the answer is no, mm-hmm. then I'm saying don't change it. That's if I'm a player. Then I'm fine with it. If you want to change it, okay, let's go back to the Bob Goodnow days where Everything is a fight. Yeah. Everything is a battle. Everything is a negotiation. Oh, you want to change that? Okay. What's my cookie. So what cookie can you give the players here? Well, I think that that's the thing. It doesn't have to be a battle, but there has to be a cookie
1: involved. Like you're, you're not just going to get the players to change that. And you know, there's been arguments in the past that when escrow wasn't locked in, it made sense for the players to close the LTIR loopholes because the more players get injured and it's a contact sport, so players get injured, the more salary gets brought in and the more money the players would have to owe. But in this particular CBA, as you just alluded to, it's locked in. So unless you really think that by not changing this, you're still going to owe money at the end of the deal, that incentive is lessened and you know as the commissioners come out and said they're very hopeful that they're going to have this done well before the end of the deal so that immediately takes away one incentive the other thing a couple people were saying to me is so let's just say for example that we're back into last year and this rules in place so all of a sudden if you're Tampa you're sitting there and saying are we going to load up If there's a chance we can't use kucherov or another good player in the playoffs well then you may not load up and then you're basically saying to players you might get less opportunity you might not get a chance to play you might not have the opportunity to get traded to tampa bay Mm -hmm. you know all of that is a part of it and then in the playoffs you're going to say to somebody well right now you can absolutely play if you're one of the 20 best players on a roster But now you're going to say, well, in the playoffs, you can't play anymore because we have to do the salary cap. And sorry, your situation is such that you can't be on the roster. Are the players going to vote for that?
0: I I have a hard time believing that one, Fridge. So I have a hard time believing the players will go for that. Right.
1: So I think the question is, yes, I can understand why some GMs hate it and they don't want to do it. And I would bet that these are particularly GMs of teams that either don't do this or don't want to financially do it. But the thing is, how are you gonna
0: convince the players that this is an idea that they could get behind? The only way is to show them a way they're gonna end up putting more money in their jeans. to be blunt. Is there a way to do that? Like, I don't know, other than you know, sticking more money in their jeans or reducing escrow, how, how do you do that? In a negotiation like this, Like what, what else do you offer? That's what it comes down to, what are you offering? We shall see. We'll be there in Florida from Sunday to Tuesday, so we'll see what the, uh, the discussion is about.
1: So as we begin here, Jeff, I did want to shout out, before we got into everything, I wanted to shout out, I was at the Top Prospects game in Kitchener on, yes. on, on Wednesday night. I don't know how many seats that Arena holds the auditorium now, but everybody brought their own car. I couldn't believe how crazy the parking lot was before <laughs> and after the game. It's like one person, one
0: car. I love that is one of my favorite junior hockey places. It's great. It's a great organize. First of all, the organization's great. Joe Birch and Mike McKenzie do a bang up job there with the Kitchener Rangers. One of the, one of the marquee franchises in the entire CHL and the Rangers do everything first class.
1: And it was a great night it was a lot of fun and sitting right near me were the representatives of the chicago blackhawks colin fraser was in there mm-hmm. brian campbell was in there rob faka who was their usa scout was there and uh, they had with them a couple of young fans uh colin's son calder he's 11. uh rob faka's nephew is uh oakley mcneil he was there And uh, they said they're huge fans of the podcast. And the reason I wanted to shout them out in particular is they say that everything I say is good and all of your ideas are terrible. So I just want to say Calder and Oakley, you two are geniuses and we appreciate you listening and always supporting the right side of the argument.
0: Young men, if you think you can bribe Elliot Friedman with compliments, you're 100% correct. (laughs) A couple of steps, feeds it across, Stevenson to Marshall, put it off the outside of the net. Maybe the pass, scars. Dodonov scores! If to Dodonov on the power play, it's 3
1: nothing. They move it down, so Michael does so good, able to make that back pass through the scene. Dodonov to Marshall, excuse me, Stevenson to Marshall, so he misses.
0: And Elliot, to close things off on Dodonov, as we're watching the game on Thursday night, The Void scores to make it 3 0 Vegas. And Elliot, I'll tell you, this is the exact kind of story I want to see down the stretch. The voided trade, the Donoff back, leads the Vegas Golden Knights back into the playoffs. I'm back in on Vegas, Elliot.
1: I thought that was your new nickname for him a second, The Void.
0: The Void, yeah. That's what I'm calling him from now on, The Void. (laughs) The
1: Void scores. (laughs) Uh, Well, first of all, you see his reaction, the big fist pump, the celebration for him. Totally. (laughs) Those guys were really happy for him. Of course. Uh, A friend of mine who lives in California sent me a text. He joked, he said, another player leaves Anaheim and goes on a hot streak. (laughs) (laughs)
0: You know, if we ever get him on the podcast, first thing we have to ask is, so how come it didn't work out in Anaheim?
1: I think a couple of things here. First of all, you could tell those guys were ecstatic for him. Totally. You know, I think in, in all of this, it kind of got forgotten what a talented offensive player he is. He had three goals in his last two games. They, the two games without him, they were shut out. You know, he's a good player. There, there's no question about that. And he gained a respect of a lot of people in the league for standing up for himself. The easy thing to do was would have been just to say, uh, okay, you know, I'll just go to Anaheim because this is too much of a fiasco. But he stuck to his guns and... He stood his ground, and I think there were a lot of people in the league who noticed and said, you know, good for you for standing up for it. Apparently behind the scenes uh, Monday night in in Minnesota was pretty wild uh, that he was there and he was telling people he wanted to play for the Golden Knights, but he wasn't on the roster at the time. So just a wild week, and we'll see where this goes. I I don't think that all of this is over yet. I'd heard rumors that, you know, Vegas was going to try to appeal it in some way. I don't think that that can really happen. Dodonov has his rights, his contracted no trade rights, and that can't be overcome. But uh, I don't think we've heard the end of it just in terms of how the league starts changing the way it deals with no trade clauses. And also, you know, could there be any penalties or something at the end of it? I don't think this chapter is, is fully over.
0: You know, and speaking of not fully over, we can't conclude any part of this podcast without talking about the big story coming out of Thursday. What's that? The Minnesota wild over the Vancouver Canucks in overtime. Oh. The in season cup is alive and well in my hip pocket. You know what I found really cute? The way that JT Miller hit the post in overtime, right before Joel Eriksson Ek ended it for the Minnesota oh. wild, just to give David Amber a glimmer of hope. That was really nice. That was really nice.
1: I, by the way, I also wanted to mention on Vegas, how they they really played it up on social media, quote unquote, welcome back, Yevgeny Dodonov. <laughs> that, that Vancouver shot there, I, I really thought that was going off the post and in when, when Miller took it. Oh. I, I couldn't believe it stayed out. It was, it was such a great show. There, that was a tough, tough one for the Canucks. And you know who really laid an egg tonight was, was Winnipeg, losing at home yeah. to Ottawa. Like, that's one you, you just you just cannot have at this point in the season. And we should mention, too, uh, Hayden Hodgson.
0: Oh, what a story. What a great
1: start in his NHL career. You know, you sit there and you look at his, his travel. I mean, this is a guy who started in the OHL with Connor Brown and Connor McDavid on Erie, five years, one year in Slovakia, ECHL, AHL, signs his contract the other day, gets his chance one and one in his first NHL game.
0: Uh, okay, so to a couple of notes you have at your blog, and then we'll get to some uh, phone calls and emails, and we'll fulfill our promise of making this a quickie podcast. Amal Delich, you're welcome. Claude Giroux, and as this as we're recording this podcast, Claude Giroux and the Florida Panthers are facing off against the Montreal Canadiens. On Florida's first goal, Claude Giroux picked up an assist. And you write in, uh, in 32 thoughts blog at Sportsnet.ca that how shall we say he's investigating, he's curious about... He's uh, intrigued by Ottawa. I just don't think it's an option that's off the table. Um, you
1: know, he's got a lot of ties to Ottawa. From Hearst. You know, there's an expectation that that's where he's going to potentially retire to uh, when he's done. I, I think he's building a home there. There's a lot of tie ins. Now, I don't think it's a guarantee, but I think it's on the radar. And. Like, I will say someone reached out to me after I wrote it and they said that, uh, he's been asking questions about it, but he said that, you know, I wrote it right. That just because you asked doesn't mean it's going to happen. It means you're doing your homework.
0: One of the games I like to play when I read your blog is okay. What if I put thought, let's say 21 next to thought 11. (laughs) Okay. I don't even know what I did, but okay okay mm-hmm. and in this case should i put the thought about claude Giroux beside the thought about colin white to montreal
1: i can see why you're doing it i don't know if those two things have one to do with the other you know unfortunately it's been a really rough couple of years for colin white like i thought that was a good contract when Ottawa was signed it yeah how do i judge everything i don't judge everything with 2020 hindsight but this is what i thought then and when when they signed colin white to that deal i thought it was a really good deal now it it hasn't worked out and you know the fact is he's still a one-third buyout because of his age yeah and some people have wondered if that's where this is heading but you know on trade deadline day i heard rumblings about white that he might be going and particularly to montreal it makes sense can't use the gm of the Canadians is the agent negotiated that deal for White. I mean, look, are they exactly to do with one another? I would say no, because unfortunately, the way it's gone for White, they were probably looking to fill that hole anyway. Now the question is going to be is White going to be in Ottawa next year, or is he not? And is he going to be traded, or are people going to see if he gets the buyout and then a fresh start somewhere else? Mm-hmm. It's just too bad because I think that's a really good player. I think the other thing too with with Ottawa is that you know they've got a lot of good young players a lot of really good young players and the one thing Ottawa's going to try to fix and I think any Sanders fan knows this is that you know who are the veterans that are going to play around them you know they've gotten a lot of players who you know haven't fit for whatever reason the idea of Giroux I think is
0: pretty exciting for them. Speaking of veteran players, um, one of the things we wondered about heading into Deadline was would Zdeno Chara remain an Islander? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that there was some interest in Chara. I want to get your thoughts on, on the Islanders who are still, you know, it's a disappointing season and it's not as if they have any expiring contracts here. They got a lot of players that are locked in on term. But starting with Chara, how much interest was there in Chara at Deadline?
1: I heard they were asked quite a bit, like how Chara would feel. Now, is that interest that goes into he was close to getting traded? I don't believe that was the case, but I do think they got a lot of questions. You know, how does he feel about this? You know, how does he feel about us? So I think it was there. There's a lot of teams that are going to have fascinating off seasons in this league. This offseason has a chance to be one of the wildest oh, that we've seen. Pick your team. Lou Lamorello coming out saying we've got to make hockey trades. Uh, that, that means he's going to be doing something. That's a sign. That's a, we're open for business. We want to do some things.
0: Well, they've got a lot of guys in on term. That's the thing. Like, it's not as if, you know, we've had a bad season and we've got all these expiring contracts. Sure. You know, Chara's up. He came in on the one-year deal and Andy Green's a UFA and, you know, Varlamov has the one more season at, at $5 million on the AAV. But other than that, like you go to Cap Friendly and look at the Islanders and it's, you know, $6 million for three more years on a guy and four more years at five. Yeah, but some five of those guys you're not five.
1: touching, like you're not touching Pellick, you're not touching Pulak, you're not touching Nelson, uh, I don't think. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you're doing anything with Barzal unless there's some reason you don't think you can sign him, right? You know, who's left? Like some of those contracts
0: are, are good contracts that you're not touching. But at a certain point, if you want to make a deal and you want to change the composition of your team, you know, some of those names and maybe you throw in, you know, uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot there, too. And maybe, you know, dare you even throw in someone like a, a young Anthony Bavillier, too. Like at a certain point, if Lou Lamoriello wants to make, quote unquote, hockey trades... He's gonna to have to trade hockey players.
1: I agree with that, but that's what
0: for hockey trades.
1: That's why I'm saying, like, I, I can't imagine Pelik as one of those guys. I can't imagine Pulak as one of those guys. I can't imagine Barzell is one of those guys unless they don't think
0: they can keep him. I can't imagine Dobson. That's the one guy for me that I keep coming back to. I can't. I'm imagine talking about Dobson. he's
1: a bit younger. Like I think you want it, and Brock Nelson, like. You know, Brock Nelson is so good. If I had another team and you told me Brock Nelson was available, I'd be like, what do I have to do? Mm -hmm. To me, that guy's an Islander. I don't, you know, I I don't see it, but you're right. Like you, you are going to have to give up quality for quality. Uh, You know, you look up and down this league and, you know, you're looking at the Islanders, you're looking at Philly, you're looking at Winnipeg, you're looking at Vancouver, you're looking at john gibson in anaheim and then you see who gets knocked out in the playoffs you know what chicago gonna do uh, there's a lot of fascinating stuff that's gonna happen this offseason someone's gonna say to this pod uh, listen to this podcast and say you guys made up so much crap what, what did doug armstrong say we all hit 250 <laughs> that we all we we all just finished hitting 250 and now we're starting to step up to the plate for the uh for the offseason
0: <laughs> I forgot about that one. That was always a good line by him. You
1: just said it this week. The national guys all hit 250. It's so
0: good. That's so good. I was going to say, like Reggie Jackson hit two fifty, but he also hit forty five home runs. I was going to say, he hit forty home runs this season <laughs> and bat two fifty. You're going to Cooperstown right son.
1: now. Right now, that's that's Major League Baseball. Like Joey Gallo hits like oh eighty three, and he's got forty homers.
0: Whatever. That's it. Swing for the fences.
1: That's what the GMs want, Doug.
0: <laughs> that's what they they don't want. To just put the ball in play. They want tape measure home runs. That's what they want, Doug. Strike it out or hit it somewhere. That's it.
1: You know, one thing I also wanted to mention was. You know, NCAA, the, the playoffs are on right now. Mm-hmm. And so Harvard lost on Thursday. Matt Coronado, Calgary's pick, I think he stays in school.
0: Uh oh. What's that? Well, the last time the Flames had a player in Harvard, no, I, 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 I don't, <laughs> I, I don't think so. You know, that's a joke. That's a, that is a very inside yeah, joke. Way, I'm talking uh, about Adam. Way Fox. to, way to go there. Uh, okay, way to go. Yeah, I don't think they amazing. have
1: to worry about that.
0: I don't think so either.
1: There was also, uh, you know, Sean Farrell is a Montreal guy, and it sounds like the belief is he's staying in school. Yeah. But the one I think is going to be interesting is Nick Abruzzese from Toronto. I think they're. Mm-hmm i'm hearing there's some chance he could be coming out to join toronto so that's one and uh you know matt kessel uh he plays at umass and and there's a chance that he could be with st louis if umass gets knocked out we're expecting owen power next month in buffalo Mm -hmm. there's a lot of talk about what's going to happen in with michigan their guys uh, Matthew Nyes, you know, I think he'll have a chance to go to Toronto if he wants to go once he's done his NCAA. You know, sometimes some of the players, people say they aren't that sexy. There are some really sexy players. And, and the one that I talked about on Thursday, uh, Cale Stevenson from BC, he joined the Capitals. So his Dartmouth team was not very good this year, but he had an unbelievable season. He got on my radar a few weeks ago. Someone just said to me, watch this guy because there's going to be a big fight over him and someone said to me this kid can play this kid is a, is a real potential steal for whoever can get him and i heard the rangers really liked him too but washington got him and you know uh, there's going to be some interesting players available here
0: all right uh, on that we'll uh, we'll take a pause we'll come back some really interesting questions we got this week a lot of business-y questions back with your calls back with your emails keep it in Before we get back to our regular programming, we need to talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco Bout. Really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi-spiced beef, Kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options.
1: Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details.
0: Okay, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Emails at 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca. The thought line always open, 1-866-311-3232, 1-866. I was always told in radio, don't say the phone number too fast. So I'll slow it down, one 311 We'll start with a voicemail. Amal, what do we have? Hey, Jeff. Hey, Ellie. This is Paul from California. And after the trade deadline today, uh, I was on Twitter, as many of us were, and I'm reading from Chris Johnston saying nearly two and a half hours post-deadline and there are still teams on hold with the NHL Central Registry. And so that got me curious. Could a general manager theoretically accept a deal and while on hold to officially confirm their trade back out of it? Could they change it? What are the rules regarding that? Has there ever been in a scenario where something like this might have happened? Thanks so much, guys. Have a good day. Bye-bye.
1: Well, you can always back out of it. Until it's official, it's not official. Now, that might not make other people very happy, but you could always back out of it. Basically, you know what you're supposed to do is send in your email before 3 o'clock with the idea of what the trade is supposed to be, and then... Uh, they'll say, okay, here's your spot in line and they'll call you when it's your turn to do your trade call. But you're supposed to have the details in before three o'clock.
0: So this is kind of like when you're lining up at a roller coaster and you think you're tough enough to go on the roller coaster and you get closer and closer and you realize uh, this isn't for me and you duck out of line. That's what it's like for each?
1: You can do that. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) You can do that. I mean, a trade's not official until it's official. Correct. One of the things that happened was the Max Domi trade on Monday between Carolina, Florida, and Columbus. Yeah. I don't think it was rejected, but I think they were told actually that if they submitted it as such, they weren't going to be able to do it. So they had to fidget around and get it done. And that one came really close. But to have a lot of trades in the queue, I I would assume 33 is a high number. But I remember a few years ago when Calgary traded with Minnesota for Nicholas Backstrom, the goalie. We'd all kind of forgotten. I, I remember we were all like, I think I had a beer in my hand and we were kind of having a post show beer because we were saying, okay, this is all done. And someone sent me a text saying, hang on, there's one coming in. And I had to pretend I hadn't had a beer when I went on air and reported it. (laughs)
0: Elliot reports, trades drunk. Yeah. That's the name of the podcast yeah. this week.
1: You know, it's not unusual for it to come a few hours later. It, it, it's happened before. I think as a matter of fact, I think the one where Philip Forsberg was traded from Washington to Nashville, I think that one also came yeah. uh, quite a bit late. So it's not unusual. You can always back out, but from what I understand the details, you send an email and you say, okay, they say, okay, we got this before three o'clock, but we're going to, it's going to be a little bit till we have the call. That's what happens.
0: We had a lot of questions about trades, obviously coming off trade deadline. People love trades. So from Jay, Hey guys, quick question about no movement clauses. Can a player with say an eight year contract change their list as their priorities change, or are they stuck with their original list for all eight years? If so, how often can this happen?
1: Uh, you generally change your list. I don't know of any player who's got a list that is it was sent in once and it's and it can never change now that doesn't mean it doesn't exist but i don't know of any case like that as you know we talked about with the dodonov thing his contract had three dates because it's a three-year deal mm-hmm. his contract had a, a certain date uh it was january fifteenth, 2021 for year one because we started the season in the middle of january last year then it was july 1st 2021 for this year and july 1st 2022 for next year like there are specific dates that's the way it is for most contracts now there are some players and i believe mark giordano was one i think he was one where it's teams submitted upon request so His protection will be you have a certain no trade to a certain amount of teams. And I believe at one time, one of the stall brothers had a deal like this too, where it's a certain amount of teams, but you don't have to tell us who's on your list until we ask for it. Mm -hmm. There's a few of those like that. I don't know if there are many still more like that, but there used to be a few like that. I believe one of the stalls had that. Oh, you know, who I think had that was, um, who was the, uh, defenseman. He played in Vancouver and then Buffalo Erhoff. I believe he had one like that too. Did Danny
0: Heatley have that one? Because I, don't I always, remember. Wa- I, I always I don't wondered remember. about the, the Ottawa Edmonton trade that he next after Brian Murray put it together. That was just his list. I understand that, but Brian Murray wouldn't have put that trade together knowing that Edmonton would have been on that list. I wondered if it was a, available on request. Murray went and did the deal and then asked him for the list, and he said, Edmonton, I'm not sure about that one. I'm just wondering if that's how that happened.
1: He watches. He still watches a lot of games. Once in a while, I'll get a random text from him just saying how something was stupid that I just said.
0: <laughs> well, next time he does it, say, would you like to share this thought on our podcast? Thank you so much for that question, Jay. Uh, Chris in New Jersey. With the recent trade of Jack McBain's signing rights to Arizona, I wondered why it is that players coming out of the NCAA seem to have the ability to choose where they play regardless of the team by which they were drafted. Do players or prospects coming out of the CHL have the power to do this? Or are college players treated differently in this aspect? If so, why is that? It's a CBA issue. It's the way it was negotiated. So NCAA players have four years and then they become free agents. CHL players have two and then they go back into the draft or they can be signed.
1: If they go undrafted, they become free agents, right?
0: Correct. And that is why when you look at the later stages of the NHL draft, A lot of teams, when you're looking at players that might be long shots or projects, you might not take a CHL player because he's only got two years of development while you have his rights, as opposed to someone in NCAA where you have four. So generally, the way it was always told to me is later on in the draft, you might want to look at taking more NCAA players and CHL players if they're going to be, you know, development projects. That's the way it was always explained to me.
1: Or what happens is, you remember Matthew Swinard? Yeah. So Ottawa drafted him. He didn't sign. They drafted him again.
0: Yeah, and usually they'll do that when a player goes back in the... That happens a couple of times. Yes, that's happened a couple of times. Do you generally notice like what happens there and how it works? How I don't know if it's still this way, but there used to be almost this quasi... A gentleman's
1: agreement, a, yes.
0: A gentleman's agreement that no one will draft that player until at least a round later in order to send the message. If you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he, if he's a second rounder, no one's going to touch him until the third.
1: Well, it, it, it used to happen a lot more. It doesn't happen as much now. True. But, and also in Europe, I think they keep them for four years after they're drafted. When the 2013 lockout ended, that was one of the things that showed up at the absolute last minute of negotiations. I think at the time, if you were in Europe, you kept them for two years and they said, we want to keep them for four after they're drafted. And... They got that. That was one of the last things before 2013 was ended. From
0: Kenneth in Whitecourt, Alberta. Just have a question about LTIR. Here we go. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how it works. Some teams use it to get to the cap floor, i.e. Chris Pronger's contract with Arizona. Yep. Others use it to win Stanley Cups in brackets Tampa Bay. How do contracts get chosen if the salary counts against the cap or cap relief?
1: Well, basically, the team's pick which contract goes on to LTIR. You know, obviously, Vancouver was very good at this when Lawrence Gilman was their AGM. Toronto, Brandon Pridham, who runs their cap, basically helped draft the CBA so he knows how to use it. Steve Pellegrini, who was Lou Lamorello's capologist in the island, was also one of the architects of the CBA. So he knows how to use it. And I mentioned Barry Hammerhand's name uh, a few weeks ago on Tim and friends. Uh, He was a guy with the flyers who really was one of the first, if not the first to exploit it. And the best way to do it is it's quite simple. So let's just say you're at the cap and you need LTI and Jeff gets injured. And Jeff is a $10 million player. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, absolutely. Like, because we all know that he's not a $10 million broadcaster. This has got a better chance of being a $10 million player. If you're three million shy of the cap and you put Jeff on LTIR, you have to use up the three million to get to the cap and then you get seven million of space. So, what people like those individuals I mentioned just did was they call up players to take them as close to the cap as possible. And then they put Jeff on LTIR. So if you're 3 million shy of the cap and you really want to maximize your LTIR, call up some players that get you within like three dollars of the cap yeah then put jeff on ltir and then you can use nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety seven dollars tampa has been really good at that the last couple years and julian brisebois got his start uh doing that kind of thing tampa's gotten within like five thousand
0: dollars of the cap and then maximized it that's how you do it it's a real art with, uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, great question. Kenneth, um, we'll finish off with this one for each. Uh, this one's from Braden. Maybe a dumb question. There are no dumb questions.
1: There are no, there's only dumb statements that Jeff and I make.
0: There are no dumb questions, only dumb people asking <laughs> questions like me and Elliot. This may be a dumb question, but with Philly retaining 50% of Giroux's salary and Florida paying the other half, does he pay state tax on the 50% from Philly and not on the other 50% from the Panthers?
1: Jeff, you got the answer?
0: I got the answer. So about an hour before the podcast, I called an agent who really likes me and who's listening right now. (laughs) And he really loves hearing from me. So he was thrilled that I called him on this Thursday evening with this question just to get clarification on it. And what he said was it works like this in this example. So for the purposes of this, the NHL likes to keep this thing really simple. So the Florida Panthers will pay 100% of Claude Giroux's contract. He will enjoy the benefit of the tax situation in Florida. Then it gets settled with Philadelphia at the end of the season. So basically that doesn't affect Giroux's taxes. Not at all.
1: So basically what what you're saying is that he gets the Florida taxes and then Philly gives back the money to Florida that's owed to them, which has nothing to do with Giroux.
0: Correct. They Uh, pay back the 50%. That's the way it works. It keeps it nice and simple and tidy. And that's all apparently done at the end of the season. Nice. Uh, Nice podcast. I think that was quick. I'm not sure.
1: Now, we should let everybody know that we're going to the GM meetings on Monday. uh, So we're not going to do a regular news podcast Monday morning, but we've got a really good interview coming. An interview we didn't know what to expect, but turned out to be one of the better ones we did.
0: Look forward to that one. Trust me, it's from a very unexpected player because while this player was in the NHL, even though he was one of the more upbeat and friendly and positive players in the entire NHL, Elliot, this guy never really spoke.
1: Didn't like talking to anybody. As a matter of fact, as we say in the interview, when I told people I was, we were going to be interviewing him, they were like <laughs> laughing. They say, really? He consented to an interview?
0: And we did, like, over an hour with him, and it was great. We had to chop it it down for time. We think you're going to enjoy this one. In the meantime, we hope you're going to enjoy this as well. Taking us out, a four-piece band from L.A., Dirty Honey released their debut single, When I'm Gone, just over three years ago, and it became the first song by an unsigned artist to reach number one on the Billboard mainstream rock charts. Coming off the success of their 2019 EP, the guys are back with their first full-length record. They're hitting a number of hockey cities across the U.S. over the next three months. Check them out if you can. From their debut album, here's Dirty Honey with Take My Hand on 32 Thoughts, the podcast.